0: movie marathoners and welcome to episode 81 of the movie marathoners podcast part of the evergreen podcast network i'm your host mati and joining me this week is raul nevedo from minorities report film welcome to the podcast raul how's your weekend been
1: hey 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 what's going on man uh it is great being here i appreciate the invite uh my weekend honestly it's it's overwhelming it's (laughs) like i feel like i have so much going on So much on my plate. I missed an appointment that I was supposed to have earlier at three o'clock and it's all over the place. 2021 honestly is like getting motivated. I feel in 2021, like I feel like 2020, I was like, yeah, let's go. I went into the year and I was ready to just work (laughs) and I was doing so much like on a report and I was doing so much for work. And then 2021, like everything happened with COVID and now it's just like, I don't know if I'm just not excited. I'm worried that it's going to get worse. And so I'm just like, man, I really need to get motivated this year. I don't know how 2021 has treated you. I know you've been busy, but how do you feel about that?
0: You know, I mean, it's it's hit or miss. I feel like sometimes, especially after the holiday break, um, I was really ready to just get into work, both on the podcast and professionally. And then a week later, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I can keep doing this and this fucking pandemic. Like, yeah. it, you know, it, it felt like as stupid as it wasn't as much as I knew that it wasn't just going to magically reset in 2021 or anything, that was kind of like a deadline, right? And so you felt like, oh, if I just get there, then things are fine and I can put up with this. But now it's sort of like, oh man, are we going to do this for another three months? I don't know. So I definitely feel that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) uh, that's exactly what it's like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you know, we'll try and stay optimistic on the podcast here. Uh, Hopefully people come to this and look for a reprieve so that we're not just regurgitating how terrible everything is. So uh, what we'll do this week, Raul, is in this episode, it's going to be a normal marathon episode, so it's going to feature a full-length review of the HBO Max release, Judas and the Black Messiah. But before heading to the start line, we'll warm up with some film news, then we'll have our spoiler-free discussion of Judas and the Black Messiah before heading into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about that film. And then finally, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. Let's do it. So let's go ahead and warm up with some film news. So last week, we got casting news for the HBO adaptation of The Last of Us, which is a wildly popular video game series from Sony PlayStation, I believe. Frankly, I've never played it, (laughs) but the HBO series is being created by the duo behind Chernobyl. Uh, It now has its two leads as well. The, The leads of the series have been revealed to be Pedro Pascal as Joel and Bella Ramsey as Ellie. So people who have seen Game of Thrones will know Bella Ramsey as Lady Mormont and Pedro Pascal as pretty much everybody right now. But obviously, The Mandalorian is the big one. Yeah. So the two play a duo that embark on an adventure in a post-apocalyptic world. And that's about all I know about the premise of this game. I know it's a very narrative Mm -hmm. game, but Raul, I picked this topic kind of betting on the fact that you would have probably played these games, Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure my bet was correct. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this project and this casting news?
1: I have thoughts. I have I have feelings. <laughs> um, first off, um, I'm a huge, huge, huge Last of Us fan. Um, it's by Naughty Dog, who, like I believe, is the greatest video game company because they've made my two favorite games, which are number one, the Uncharted series, king of all games for me, and then The Last of Us. And you're right, it's a narrative game, post-apocalyptic. Joel is hired to escort Ellie. Across the United States to a safe haven where they're trying to find a cure for the zombie apocalypse, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I have so much faith in Craig Mason because Chernobyl is an incredible show. Yeah.
0: Like one of the best of the last five years, for sure.
1: And I think it's arguably the greatest miniseries Mm -hmm. created. Like, it's just so phenomenal. Um, And I like Bella Ramsey. I like her. As Liana Mormont um, or Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. Um, Obviously, I love Pedro Pascal. Um, He, I I truly dislike Wonder Woman 1984, but he is not (laughs) the part that I dislike of that movie. Like, he's phenomenal. Um, We don't get to see his face in uh, Mandalorian, really, but his voice is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can say the same thing about for Joel, um, (laughs) because (laughs) Joel is like, first off, Joel is older. He's so he has this like very gruff voice, think Bradley Cooper in The Star Is Born, right? A Star Is Born that like just country, like very thick, deep voice. So like Sam Elliott. Yes, a younger Sam Elliott would be perfect. Or for me now, a De-aged. Bradley Cooper. Okay, yeah. I yeah. think a Bradley Cooper if he goes back to his voice from A Star Is Born, mm, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Pedro Pascal, I love him, and you know what? I'm actually. Not that mad about Pedro Pascal. Like when I when they announced it, I was like, okay, I can see where you're going with this. Bella Ramsey, however, Ellie, she's like, she looks like Ellen Page, but she sounds like Ashley Johnson because Chuck, Ashley Johnson does her voice. And I just, I, when I think of Lady Mormont, I just do not think Ellie. And so it's it's hard for me to get my heart behind this because like, they're only going to get it right once, right? They're only going to do right. it once. And if they miss, then it's going to be a miss. And it's I'm torn because I have faith that they know what they're doing. But at the same time, I'm just like,
0: man. Yeah. These castings to me seem like the casting of, um, what's his name? Jim. Jim from The Office. John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic in the MCU. It's like, that's a really, really obvious choice. And on paper, it's like, okay, sure. Pedro Pascal, he's in The Mandalorian and he's taking care of an orphan child. So who are we going to hire for the guy who has to take care of an orphan (laughs) child in the post-apocalyptic world? And then you've got uh, Bella Ramsey, who is a badass little girl in HBO's Game of Thrones. So who are we going to hire as the badass little girl in HBO's Last of Us? It feels really obvious. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just not super exciting to me.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. She was badass in Game of Thrones, so clearly she'll be badass in this. Right. And 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 Ellie is absolutely badass. Like there is no doubt about that. For anybody who's played uh, The Last of Us, they know. Like she is fantastic. Um, but yes, you, it, this feels like obvious choices from what has we've been seeing recently from them. Uh, the other thing you talked about the orphan child thing. I I, th- I think it was on the wrap. They said that the game is about Joel. And his adoptive daughter Ellie I don't know what they're doing with the show but that is incorrect like that okay that is that, <laughs> that is I want to put that out there that is incorrect I just assumed uh, she
0: was orphaned I actually have no idea yes. so. okay she,
1: she is but it doesn't mean he adopted her right okay I see <laughs> but no um, no you're right I like how you put that um they seem like the obvious choices and yes I think something seeing and being able to see an actor that we love, respect, admire. You know, being able to do something out of their comfort zone, mm-hmm. I think that's exciting. You know, and, and, yeah. and I, I, I can't even think in my mind of who I would have put for Ellie, but I would have loved to see somebody that, like, we just don't expect for them to choose for this role.
0: Yeah, for sure. And especially because these video game series just have such a bad track record. You know, I mean, I, mean, yeah. I, I this is a little bit of, like, concern trolling, I guess, because, again, as you're saying, Craig Mazin... Definitely knows what he's doing, and Pedro Pascal, an amazing actor. Bella Ramsey, a fine actor. I, I don't know. I mean, she's she's a kid, so it's tough to tell. But like, you, you know, so this can only be so bad. But at the same time, it's a video game adaptation, so it can be pretty bad. I don't know. Is is this one that you think has the potential to be really good if you compare it to something like the Mortal Kombat movie coming out or whatever? Because at least this one to me seems like it has a narrative, so it should be easier to adapt, right?
1: This should be like, if they follow the structure of the game, it Mm -hmm. should be phenomenal because the game, that's the thing about Naughty Dog is that they, they just are so good at storytelling and the story from The Last of Us. I mean, the first one and the second one is so, so, so good all around. And so they really should just stick to that. Like, again, you have to take liberties when adapting, but like you really could just take that and turn it into a series.
0: So, you think that would be good, like a direct adaptation, not changing anything?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And if and depending on how they're doing it, like because I know Chernobyl was a miniseries, so there's no sequel to that. But this, because there's two video games, right. you could have two uh, seasons for this. So, the way that the first one leaves off leaves perfect for the possibility of the second season. And so absolutely, I think you you end the first season the way that the first video game is, you know, take some liberties here and there so that it's still exciting for those that watched mm-hmm. the i mean that played the game, but yeah, you end it very similarly and it and you can go right on to a second season after that, uh depending on how it's received, yeah, cool absolutely,
0: well, hopefully it's good um you know, we'll see I have no idea when this comes out i don't I don't think it's been reported or anything, but You could do much worse than Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, I guess.
1: Yeah. And and last thing I'll say, like, like Bella Ramsey, I think we all remember her. She's so good at playing those like Liana Mormont moments where she's just a tough, you know, and she's very serious. But like, we didn't really see a whole lot of emotion from her. And Ellie is, yes, very tough, but there's so much emotion and levels to her character. She's so complex. And that's where, you know, I'm worried about, can she get there? Because-
0: yeah. She's a bit character in Game of Thrones, right? She doesn't have a personality or she has a personality, but it's a single trait personality, you know? So uh, I don't know. She she's more. She seems more of kind of like, n- not a meme, but something that the <laughs> internet can be like, oh, we love that character because of this yes. one defining trait. Can yes. she do a rounded character? I don't think anybody's championing for a lady mormont series for example but again Mm. she's a young actress and she probably has a really bright future going ahead and she's a bit older now so i i trust that they picked the right person it's just again pretty pat casting so yeah
1: i'm guessing you're not a gamer
0: i am but i'm a nintendo gamer so i am very behind on a lot of the playstation stuff um i got like a ps3 like three years ago and bought like 10 games from a local game store or whatever sure. and one of them was uncharted which i had not played yet but i just have n- not gotten around to playing any of them other than bioshock or no no fallout new vegas oh, so sure really behind on a lot of that stuff y- you but- should play uncharted Okay. <laughs> you know, it actually, is. it would make sense to do that before watching the TV show, so maybe I will do that. Yeah, be you,
1: should, well, you should absolutely buy the, the Last of Us, which is for PS3. Okay, but you, ha- you said you have Uncharted. Play Uncharted.
0: <laughs> All right. I'll let you know what I think of that. Let's head over to our main review of Judas and the Black Messiah. So first, a synopsis. This is the synopsis, it's kind of short. The story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his faithful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. Judas and the Black Messiah stars Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, as well as many other actors. It is written by Will Burson and Shaka King, and it is also directed by Shaka King. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car. Five years for impersonating a federal officer. Or you
1: can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color.
0: Their aim is to show hatred and inspire terror.
1: I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution.
0: So Judas and the Black Messiah is a crime docudrama-ish film based on real events and very important figures in the civil rights movement in the late 60s, early 70s, around that era. And the film premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival a few weeks ago, which is where I saw it for the first time. And I've since rewatched it again on HBO Max, Mm -hmm. which is where it is playing now, as well as in theaters, if you're brave enough to, to go to one of those. But Raul... Was Sundance the first time that you saw this film, or when did you see this, and then what are your overall thoughts?
1: Sure. It was not, actually. Um, Sundance would have been my second time watching it. I saw it early January. I think, I think it was January 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the film, um, really, really enjoyed the film. There are some really strong cinematic elements to it, and I found Shaka King to be surprisingly, a surprisingly strong Director, um, the film is visually stunning and features some electrifying performances. Undoubtedly, I think this is a general consensus all around. Electrifying performances um, from every cast member. One of the only downsides I have for the film is that it is a bit on the on the long side for me. I think it could have been a tad bit shorter. But overall, like visually stunning, incredible performances. Um, Shaka King, a director I have not seen anything of any of his previous works, um, really really impressed me and. The, the, one of the big things for me is it, it, when when a cinematographer is able to play with the depth the shadows and, and light and dark create, I'm always going to be impressed by the cinematography. And that's something that they hit on really well in this movie.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I find this an effortlessly excellent film. Hmm. Like It's one of those films that you just watch and basically from the opening scene, the film just feels good. <laughs> And there's, there's almost a, a polish or a shine to it, um, which is a little different than a lot of the films that you might see at Sundance that are just equally as compelling and inspiring, for example, but they're a little rougher on the edges. And I feel like this film is really just thoroughly enjoyable. Phenomenal pacing. It's never boring. Um, I love the editing. I love how efficiently the story progresses. There's about five minutes of this movie until Ed O'Neill, or not Ed O'Neill, Bill O'Neill is undercover, and you're just right Mm -hmm. into it, and he's in the Mm -hmm. Black Panther gang instantly. And the film, I think, just flies by. It is a bit long, but I didn't actually feel that length that much. Was there something specific that made it feel a little bit long, like someplace
1: that they could have trimmed it down? I think there's there's some quiet moments that I think could have been trimmed. And also, for me, I wanted to see more of Fred Hampton's character, and those are Mm -hmm. the scenes that I found most engaging. Um, the scenes with Bill O'Neill, less so. And so for me, I would have trimmed those a little bit because I think his story is incredibly important and we have to see it. But I think there were some moments in which they could just be tightened. I don't think I could, I don't think I would get rid of any major scenes, like any of these scenes can I think of off the top of my head that I'm just like, that's unnecessary. But I think they could have been trimmed and made a little bit tighter.
0: It's interesting because the film is this kind of twofer, right? It's not a Fred Hampton documentary or biopic and it's not fully a bill o'neill story either although i say that it leans more towards being centered around bill o'neill of those two performances do you think one of them is
1: like a primary performance versus a supporting performance so (laughs) i i think that the story i think you said it correctly the story leans towards bill o'neill being the -hmm. central character um, but I think they share a lot of screen time together. Like, I, I, I have not looked up what the numbers are, but I felt I felt like it was 40, 60. And the story is from the perspective almost of Bill O'Neill,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's really about Fred Hampton. And so, that's why Fred Hampton feels like such a central character. But yes, the, the importance of the story is told because of how it all went down. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so Did, that's, and, and ultimately Bill O'Neill is at the very center of that.
0: So that that's interesting that you say that because uh, I was listening to a um, an interview with Jaka King and he was talking about how if he went to a studio and was like, I've got a biopic about uh, Fred Hampton, people would be like, who is that? And so in order to tell this story, they framed it as this sort of FBI informant betrayal kind of thing. And I think it's a really interesting way to tell this story because like you're saying, the story is framed around the Bill O'Neill character who is, I mean, this is based on a true story. So Mm -hmm. I I guess I'm not going to spoil the film, but some pretty fucked up shit (laughs) goes down at the end of this movie. (laughs) That's fair to say. (laughs) Yeah. And um, Bill O'Neill is definitely one of the causes to blame for that. And so it's really interesting to frame the story around this character that you know is ultimately leading to tragedy. Um, it's in the title, by the way, so mm-hmm. you can probably figure out what's yeah. going to happen with Judas and the Black Messiah. It's in the synopsis.
1: but Brilliant title. I, Brilliant. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and it's actually funny because I didn't know this story really um, outside of what I knew from Trial of the Chicago 7, right? You know, there's that scene sure. in Trial of the Chicago 7 that references the Fred Hampton character and what happens to him. And so- Maybe 10 minutes into this movie, I was like, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, oh, that's what this
1: is about. Mm -hmm. Did you know what this story was about beforehand? Before walking into the film, sure. Before seeing the first trailer, no,
0: not at all. Um, (laughs)
1: And I didn't look too much into it. I just, I had heard whispers of it once the trailer came out of people saying, like, oh, right, because this is kind of what happened. And like, people weren't 100% sure. But it was almost like for some people, it was almost recalling some information that was kind of deep, you know, mm-hmm. back there in their mm-hmm. subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, me, myself, I knew what the Black Panther was. Um, I knew some of the stuff that they have accomplished and some of the stuff that they went through. Um, but Fred Hampton was was a name that like sounded somewhat familiar. But then again, it might have been for other, you know, it might have been because of uh, Chicago Seven and it just kind of was still lingering or anything like that. But no, Um Sorry. That was a long way to get to. I had not really heard about this before the trailer.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's what's really cool about this movie is that it introduces this character to the audience. And I know there's a lot of criticism of this film. And I think in the interview that I watched, Chaka King directly addressed that, saying that some people take issue that this film kind of exists at all because Fred Hampton is a very socialist figure and the idea that something as capitalist as a movie from Warner Brothers is more or less profiting off of his image is a bit counterintuitive. And the response that Chaka King gives to that is that this is a story that is introducing this character to a whole breadth of an audience that probably doesn't know anything about this character. And the goal of a film like this is, he says something like, the the role that art has in a social movement is that people watch this movie and then they do a deeper dive into Fred Hampton's politics, into the party's politics, and the ultimate takeaway that he has is like the or the alternative to making this movie is not making this movie and right. how useful is that to telling this story. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about this the impact of this film regardless of you know the
1: the capitalist tendencies of a HBO Max, you know. Sure. Um yes, I it that's such an interest, interesting thing cuz like for me, as an artist, I think of success in one of my projects as like how many people saw it, how many people heard the story. Mm-hmm. It. I'm never thinking of how many dollars it made. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, absolutely. Warner Brothers is thinking of it this way, but somebody has to make mm-hmm. it. And to me, I very much doubt Shaka King is thinking of it and like how much money is, are we going to make off this movie? He's just like, this is an incredible story that like- it needs to be told because one, the times that we're living, mm-hmm. and two, it's just necessary. This is history, and this is an incredible, like this is a, a, an incredible story that should be discussed and is something that people should be talking about, right? Yeah. And so that's what he's thinking. Like, it's just like this story needs to be told, and I'm going to bring it to the masses. Hey, I don't have the money to do this. Movie making movies is expensive, you know. <laughs> ultimately telling stories is expensive, right? Um, And so that's what he's thinking. It's like, I need to get it out there. Yes, Warner Brothers is trying to make money off of this. But you got to think of where the heart of the artist is.
0: And in that sense, it's actually pretty great that this is being released on HBO Max. I mean, I think obviously we would want to see this film in the theaters, but so many more people are going to see this movie now that it's on HBO Max and that you can directly consume it in your home. And- Shaka King says something like, it would be great if Fred Hampton became a household name. And I think by having this film on HBO Max, you have much more of a chance of that happening. I mean, obviously, I would have seen this film, but I can now easily tell anybody who has HBO Max, watch this film. It's incredibly important. But on top of that, it's also an incredibly captivating film Super engaging, super thrilling, amazing performances—everything that we're saying. So it's kind of like
1: the whole package in a yeah. way.
0: I think this is a truly great film.
1: Yeah, it is. I agree with
0: you. I I want to talk a little bit about the performances here because there's the two main performances and then a bunch of supporting performances. Um, and then maybe we can hop into spoilers because you know there's some some stuff at the end that we want to talk about. But mm. um, what I've wanted to do with this podcast is add a couple new segments. And one of the segments that I've wanted to add recently is something called PRs and season bests. And so in running, we are the movie marathoners podcast, nice pun, whatever, a PR (laughs) is a personal record. So it's like the fastest time that you've ever ran a marathon or a mile would be your PR. And then a season best would be like, you know, your best, most recent performance, say in the last year. So for this PR season best category, my question is is Judas and the Black Messiah anybody's PR performance? And if not their PR, then is it their season's best, like their best performance in the last 5 years? What do you think, Raul?
1: So, it's interesting. I think for I think many people are going to immediately think for Daniel Kaluuya. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um and and I can see the argument argument being made there. For me personally, I still favor Get Out because if that performance haunts me, And that performance was good enough to win. And I think it should have won that year. Mm -hmm. Um, It it like just, just, just this shot alone of him in the chair, you know, the tears just going down his face. He's scratching at the seat. And it's just like, it's, I'm telling you, it's still with me. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because Judas and the Black Messiah, since the moment I saw the trailer, I said, oh, he has to win for this performance. And that immediate, like that, tells me it's the best one of the year for me, right? It's a, from the trailer alone, right. I thought, oh, he has to win for this. He's playing a historical figure. That's a check right on the Oscars uh, ballot. <laughs> uh, oh, historical figure, absolutely. Um, and he's delivering an incredible performance. Um, that that he his inflection of the character of Fred Hampton, like if, that's why I love that they play a recording of Fred Hampton because like you realize how good his inflection is in depicting Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately when I think of like what his best is for me, I still think it's get out, but this one is a very close second because it's, it's an incredible, absolutely incredible performance.
0: Yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, get out is a film that every time I've watched it since the first time I've appreciated it more. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's just, you know, maybe that's not anything specific about what Kali is doing, but I think it is like, you just really see how layered that performance is as of a guy who is so angry but can't show it and just that type of acting like that acting behind the acting I think is really difficult to pull off and yeah it really favors multiple viewings I will say mm-hmm. after a second viewing, this performance is the same phenomenal performance that I saw the first time it's not there's not a ton else behind what you see it's a very explosive performance it is nuanced I'm not saying it's not but I do think that the Get Out performance is just a phenomenal performance. Yeah. So it's one of those things that like this performance isn't bad. It's just not quite as good as Get Out. But what do you think about Stanfield? Because I think this is Lakeith Stanfield's best performance.
1: I think it could be like, uh, <laughs> I did not see, I didn't see Sorry to Bother You, right? Um, I don't know if you saw it. I don't know what he delivered there. I've heard it's a great performance. I, I'm i not in love with Stanfield. If I can, if I can put that out there, I to better be mad at me. Um, just in general? I, I think just in general. Yeah. Like, and so for me in this role, I, I've never sat down and tried to evaluate and because I've never really sat down to fully appreciate what he brings to a film. Um, so uh, is this his best performance? Yes to me, but that's <laughs> coming from like, I've never loved anything he's done prior to. I except for Get Out, like I love him in Get Out. Um, the little bit that we see him, it's unfair for me to say that he was better in Get Out because it's such a small role. <laughs> yeah. So yes, is this probably his best? This is probably his best role, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Atlanta? I, you know, I have not. I've only seen the first episode.
0: Okay, he's he's very good in Atlanta. Um, I've also seen Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You. He's very good in that too. I just think that in this film. It uses his kind of particular energy in a very successful way while also it feels like a character that is in over his head. Um, the way that he acts off of other people in this film, I think, is really interesting because, right, he's undercover. So he has to pretend to not be undercover. I have in the show notes written here that, like, Will is a good actor. And I, I mean, William O'Neill, yeah. the character, is a good actor. And you were like, Who's Will? Yes. Who's Will? Um,
1: Yeah. I I went down every cast member and I was like, (laughs) is somebody's last name Will? I mean, William is like, who is William? And then for a second, I saw William O'Neill, you know, that's his character's name. And I was like, no, he's not talking about William O'Neill because he said his performance, he's such a good actor. No, he's talking yeah. about somebody else. So I had to ask, yeah.
0: No, yeah. But I mean, I just think that in the world of being an FBI informant and him having to like pretend that he's not to sure. these Black Panthers, he does some pretty damn good acting. I don't think I could do it. I would definitely crack and be like, guys, I'm sorry. This <laughs> you know? Um <laughs>
1: Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> yeah.
0: I quit. <laughs> but um yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think Lakeith Stanfield's performance is really fantastic in this, and I would say
1: it's his PR for sure. Okay. Um, for me, who surprised me was Dominique Fishback, who mm-hmm. I've not seen in anything, but she's so good in this. Her her delivery and, and it's and it's what's one of the things I appreciate the most is you've used it several times, the nuance, right? That that the like what's underneath. And she is able to like hold back so much, which just like really makes her character explode and it and it makes you it makes you just see so much of her character. Of of the of her character's character, like like uh, the, <laughs> yeah, her yeah, thought yeah. process and like how she's like in her face and very very subtle and small facial expressions, you can absolutely see what she's thinking. And I and and like she she was absolutely outstanding for me in this.
0: Yeah, I agree. She's a great character. Her relationship with Fred Hampton also great. There's something I do want to talk about about their relationship a little bit and the Dominique Fishback performance, but it is spoilery. It has to do with the ending, so I think we should slide into spoilers here in a second. Well, why don't you just summarize your thoughts on the film, and give us a score out of 10, and then we'll go right into spoilers.
1: My final thoughts on the film is, I, I really think it's an outstanding film that I'm very excited that was brought to light. Um, I love the story. I think it's very powerful. I know people are out there trying to compare it to this, they're trying to compare it to Chicago 7, they're trying to compare it to other things, the mangrove, you know, from the small X. and. It's an unfair comparison. This is like, yes, it touches on a lot of the same systemic issues, right? Um, but ultimately, like, this is this is such a personal story, um, you know. Whereas, like, Chicago Seven is like this big thing. It's like this whole event. Um, this was like this. This movie feels so intimate. It feels very, very almost like like a secret, you know, like something that that people would tell each other, and they were worried. Of, mm-hmm. of, get, of it getting out. Um, you know, and, and I think that makes the weight of this story incredible. Um, and, and so for me, um, I love Shaka Kent's approach. Um, of, I, you know, it, it makes me excited for anything he does in the future. Um, I don't know enough of his work to like compare it to anything before, but I I'm so happy that he was able and willing to tell the story. And ultimately, like, it's not only a great story, You know, there's some movies out there that I think are great stories and are just not phenomenal films. Um, And Mm -hmm. this one, you know, it's a great story. Every element of it, you know, the score, the cinematography, the performances, um, you know, the effects, all of it um, is really, really good. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited. And for that reason, like for all these reasons, I am at a solid eight out of 10.
0: Awesome. I completely agree with everything you said. Phenomenal and enjoyable film, which is a big and I think because there are so many films that are really phenomenal, but they're tough to wholeheartedly recommend to everybody that you know. Whereas I feel like this film will it's, it's hard for me to imagine people not at least finding something to enjoy in this film, even if it's from a crime story perspective. I think there's a lot of things to keep you hooked in it. The The way that you are invested in Bill O'Neill as he is undercover at the Black Panther party, that alone is just a fascinating story, let alone how it ends and how harrowing that ending is and how impactful that ending is. The, the ending of this film is truly upsetting. Um, yeah. But, it, but yeah, it's it's an effortlessly good, big film. It finally feels like a movie from Warner Brothers that wasn't just dumped onto a streaming service. Yeah. It feels like a wholly complete film filled with confidence, excellence. It's a 9 out of 10 for me. Sweet. So let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll hop into spoilers for Judas and the Black Messiah. Don't you go- All right, we are back and talking about spoilers for Judas and the Black Messiah starting now. That's my secret,
1: Captain.
0: I'm always angry. So right before we did our overall thoughts and our score and everything like that, we were talking about this Dominique Fishback character. Mm-hmm. And um, the first time that I saw the film, before I knew the ending, before I knew the the title cards at the end, and I guess for people who haven't seen the film and don't know history, Fred Hampton was murdered by the FBI after Bill O'Neill's character informs on him and uh, essentially drugs him in his sleep to kind of keep him asleep during an FBI raid. Really upsetting I think one of the most upsetting parts about that is that Fred Hampton was 21 years old, yeah, which I did not know. And I think part of that is that Daniel Kaluuya is like 32 or something. Mm. And I don't know if this is a hot take or anything like that, but although I love the Daniel Kaluuya performance, I think he's a bit too old to play the Fred Hampton character because I think oh. it's really important how young this guy was and- It's not quite as impactful until you get that title card that says he was 21 when he passed away. And I think that is super important to know that like this was such a young man and it is so messed up what happened to him. And I mean, obviously, it's messed up if he's 32 and it happens to him, too. But like that youthfulness is something that feels very clear from the Dominique Fishback character who is quite young. I think she's she's not that young. She's like 28, but she has a very youthful uh, energy And I think Daniel Kaluuya is just a little too, like, aged to fully um, exude that, like, youthfulness that the Fred Hampton
1: character should have. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Raul? So, I've been hearing this argument circulating um, in the interwebs, (laughs) in the socials. (laughs) Uh, And I'm very very glad that you brought some perspective, right? Because just saying, well, I just think he's too old. um, I'm just like, really? But- for you, you're just like, oh, it would just hit you that much harder if you could see his youth. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm honest, like, let me tell you what conversation was happening between Shaka King, casting directors, possibly some producers. And it is, they said, he said, Danica is the best choice for the role. He's going to blow us away. And they said, yeah, but he's a little too old. And he said, but he's the best man for the job. And they said, yeah. But he's a little too old, (laughs) and he said, "But he's the best man for the job." And at the end of the day, you have to buy the character of Fred Hampton because he is such an uh, a charismatic, electrifying person, right? If it wasn't, if he wasn't, he would not have achieved what he did, right? He would not have brought the Black Panther Party. Like in the film, they even say, like when he gets locked up, the FBI agent asks O'Neill, like, "How is Black Panther doing?" He's like. You know, people are dropping out, like we're not getting any new recruits, we're actually losing people, we're losing donations. Why? Because it's, if the Black Panther Party was Fred Hampton. And so we need a character that is going to convince us that he has the charisma to achieve that. Uh, And I just don't, in my mind, I I would have done the same choice. Like when I'm thinking, I want the best person for the job and he is going to blow us away. He's going to do the best job. He's going to do exactly what I want him to do for this character, and I'm willing to sacrifice that he's a little bit older, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. And then I think the other aspect of it is that, like, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are, they're, I don't know if they're household names, but they are certainly recognizable actors. So if you have a movie like this, it's going to attract more attention. If you have Daniel Kaluuya in the role versus a lesser known star that's More closer to the age of Fred Hampton's character. So I understand that. And then in general, like Denzel Washington, of course, he played Malcolm X throughout his whole life. So it's a little different, but you tend to have characters play younger characters in biopics all the time. So I do understand that that's part of it. I just feel like with the Dominique Fishback character, you get that youth, you get that feeling of she's like, it, it's almost amazing how much they did when they were so young, when you think of like, like yeah. they they were younger than me and and I feel like still like I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, you know? And so sure. <laughs> to to understand and see that they're younger, like just to just experience that youthfulness on screen is a little different than seeing it as a title card being like, by the way, they were 21. I'm not saying don't cast Daniel Kaluuya, you know, like. I think it's the same thing with Pedro Pascal. Like he he did a fantastic job, so I'm not going to complain. But I I just feel like there's a little disconnect there, and and it's the same thing with the Lakeith Stanfield character, right? Because he's supposed to be really young, and he's supposed to look up to Jesse Plemons' character as like a, a mentor figure at times. And sometimes they feel a little too
1: close in age, um, to yeah. fully feel that, you know. Although let me tell you, you can look up to people that are your same age. Absolutely, <laughs> but, yeah, but um. You know, if I if I give it a lot of thought, like at the like, you know, the conviction that uh, Dan O'Calliou brought in is so needed. Um, mm. And if I think about it, like I've thought of some movies where they've done the same thing, where we have the title card at the end. It's just like they were this old. Um, I think if we had like somebody like Calvin Harrison Jr. played him, right? That looks younger, and that's who played him in Chicago Seven, played Front Hampton. Oh right. Um, yeah. I think it still would have hit me just as hard to put a number to that age, right? True, yeah. Um, and so, so for me, I, I'm not seeing as much of a disconnect because like, I think it still would have hit me because it's just like, you can guess at how old they are, but when you see the number, you're like, oof, that hurts, you know?
0: Yeah, that for sure makes sense. On that note, though, so we're, we're talking about him being brutally betrayed by this Bill O'Neill character, but the film is from the Bill O'Neill's perspective. I'm curious for you, Raul, did you ever watch the film and want the Bill O'Neill character to be caught? Because I think the film does this very interesting thing, at least for me, where it's like, he's kind of like a tool for the FBI and the FBI and the Jesse Plemons character in particular is the villain. So he's never like the villainous character. You're not following a villain. You're following this character who's stuck in this terrible position yeah. and i think the film does a really good job of towing that line of because of, there was never a moment where i was like i want him to be caught but you also don't want what happens to happen there are many times in this movie where you're like oh come on there's no way this this is going to happen like they're going to figure it out but obviously we know history and so i think mm-hmm. that the way that the movie toes that line of having you not necessarily root for the character but not want him exposed is really fascinating to me and I, I don't know if that's just me I don't know what you thought about that
1: so I think you, you explained it well I, one of the biggest things for this film that I really liked is that there it's not clear there's not a clear bad guy right um, and there's not clear good guys there's just people right and there's people that we are you know we're feeling more towards because of what happens in the story um, and so as far as Bill O'Neill's character, absolutely. I think that I, I never wanted him to get caught. I was always concerned because at the end of the day, he stuck. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I have a hard time with, and I, I assume that this was done purposefully. And this is one, one of the only reasons that there was, if there ever was a mo- moment in which I was just like, Oh, I want you to get caught. You know, it was because I think that they allude to the fact. That he's he's just he's trying to survive, right? And he's kind of like the way they show us that he lives at the opening of the film, which is an incredible opening of the film. Um, he's he's kind of a, a worm, right? He's kind of a parasite, and he just kind of mm-hmm. like he does whatever he needs to. He doesn't care. He, you know, and and we have this moment, which I, I think is it was a very necessary and smart thing, and I think people are going to read it differently. But you know, we have Jesse Plemons' character asks Bill O'Neill were you sad when Martin Luther King was assassinated? Mm-hmm. And he's like, what were you sad? And he was like, uh, yeah, I guess so. And he was like, what about Malcolm X? Like, did it hurt? And he was like, yeah, yeah, it hurt. And in that scene, there's something interesting about when I rewatched it, I was like, Oh, he asks him this to see his reaction and to see his answer. Cause he wants to see how much loyalty he has to his community. Mm -hmm. And his response is not convincing, right? I don't believe that it actually hurt him when Martin Luther King died or when Malcolm X died. I think that that question was asked very tactfully and very on purpose. And I think when i watched it him a second time, I caught that. And so, for that reason, on my second watch, much more than on my first one, I was like, Ooh, like, man, I almost wish they had caught him. I almost wish they had caught him. And in in these moments, even in my second watch where I know, and my third watch where I know they're not going to, because I already saw the movie, I felt much more of that because that was in my mind that I'm just like, yes, he's put in a tough situation towards the end of the movie. I think he has a lot more heart towards Fred Hampton. I I think if at the end of the film, it is clear that it hurts him that this yeah. is happening to Fred Hampton, but it's yeah, well, too he late. he kills himself,
0: right? Uh, right? As soon as the documentary drops, which is just, oh.
1: But at that point, it's just too late, right? And it's just like, I can't back out now because mm-hmm. it's my life or his.
0: That's that's a good point. And, and I agree that there are certain times, like one of the times for me where I was like, this guy's just a weasel is when there's <clears throat> the police standoff in the Black Panther's headquarters right before it gets burned. And he tries to leave and then eventually does leave. That part's like, come on,
1: dude. But but, but, even, um, but even in that, you know, it's just in his mind, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign right. up for this with the FBI. I didn't sign up for this with the Black Panthers. Like, I don't know why she's pulling out a gun and thinks that she can have a standoff with the police. I did not sign off on this shootout between us and the police. <laughs> so I, I'm out, you know, like, and I yeah. can't tell them that because they'll think something's up. Something is up. I do not want to die. That's what's up. You know, so like even in that scene for me, it wasn't so much of a weasel as like yes, but also you have to understand he does have loyalty to other side. He has loyalty yeah. to his life.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really interesting juxtaposition to the Fred Hampton character who kind of is the opposite. Like he does not yeah. have loyalty to his life. He has loyalty to the the party. And I think if if we want to transition into kind of like our favorite scenes here, the the scene yes. that I think is amazing is that rally that they have as soon as Fred Hampton gets out of jail and yeah. he's giving that speech where he says, uh, you know, he's um, oh, what's the chant that they do? He, he's high, he's high on the people. So yeah. good. It's a, I, yeah, and
1: I am a revolutionary. A revolutionary. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. That scene. I mean, you know, just the the dialogue alone, but then what he's saying and how Dominique Fishback is interpreting what he's saying, that relationship is really good. But then you also have the Jesse Plemons character in the audience, staring down the Lakeith Stanfield character and just like the way that Jesse Plemons like cocks his eyebrow when Fred says that, you know, slaughter some pigs, just, oh my God, that whole scene is giving me goosebumps right now. Just talking about it's such a good scene.
1: It's absolutely, I absolutely agree. It's it's an incredible scene. It's it's up there for me. Um, the thing about and on my second watch and on my third watch, uh, two, I've done two and a half watches technically. But um, <laughs> Dominique Fishback's character, right, Deborah, um, in that scene, and 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 I was able to. I was talking to to Colby Mack about this. Shout out to him, <laughs>
0: <laughs> friend of the pod.
1: Yeah, in that scene. Um, I, I was able to catch it much more on my second watch. There's this beautiful thing that, again, what I'm, what I was talking about her performance, what her eyes are doing, what her face is doing. And she's, she's, she's hurting inside, right? Because she's pregnant with his child and she wants him to have more care for his life because it affects her child's life. Mm -hmm. But a beautiful thing about it is like, when you think back to when they first met, what does she tell him? You need to write your, your uh, speeches because you speak too passionately. And it, she basically tells him it, it's sloppy. And and she tells him, you are a poet, but you need to write your stuff down and you need more structure because it comes off as unprepared. And I think that that is like the epitome of this scene, right? Because at the end of the day, the film ends the way it ends because of this speech. Mm-hmm. Because he, he incites violence towards the police. And he says, kill a couple of police, a couple pigs, get some satisfaction. Kill all the pigs, get complete satisfaction. You know, and that's what he says. And that is scary to the police, to the FBI. And if she, in her mind, like, man, I wish he had told me how he was feeling. And I wish we had wrote this down because I would have told him, you cannot say this.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: and even later we see him again when uh, Bill O'Neill has the C four in his trunk, and you can see clearly. And Fred Hampton is like, "No, no, no, I, I don't want to go kill them." No, but you said you. This is what you told me. Yeah, you said let's kill them all, full satisfaction. And all of a sudden he's just like, "No, no, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> that's not what I meant." And Deborah's that's that's what Deborah in her mind. She was like, "That's not what you mean." But if you say it, they're going to take it this way. And I think it's it's this beautiful come to full circle where it's just like she told him he needed to prepare, and because he didn't, things got way out than they than she had hoped they would. Um, but it's an incredible scene. Uh, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. Do you have any other favorite scenes or things you want to shout out? Hundred uh, percent.
1: My <laughs> all of my favorite scenes are Deborah and Fred Hampton, it, starting with. They're all good. Yeah. (laughs) But starting with the scene where she walks in on him rehearsed uh, while he's like reciting back, he's listening to a Malcolm X speech and he's reciting because he knows it by heart. And then there's this beautiful moment where she's like, well, do you know this one? And then he like changes his voice and he starts doing that speech as well. And then she starts reciting it with him. And then there's this like beautiful connection between the two of them. And then she's like, all right, I'm out. And then she goes (laughs) to leave and he's like, you want some coffee? And she's like. Sure, and then there's like this incredibly natural moment with like I remember in my youth when I'm like I have a huge crush on a girl and it's like so awkward to get that out and 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 I've had girls say to me the way that she says to him Oh I did not take you for being shy you know and like and it was just like this she's laughing at him you know and he's just like No I'm not and it's just like this incredibly natural scene like like a love scene like between the two of them and and you know his character you know his character from earlier. When William O'Neill was hitting on a girl in, in their uh, meeting and he embarrasses him in front of everybody, he's just like, no, you got to respect mm-hmm. them like they're our fellow comrades and you got to treat them the same and you can't be disrespecting them just because they're women. And then later we get to see this incredible scene where he's still trying to figure out and there's this incredible subtlety in their performances where they both know that like if they do this, it's going to complicate things. So like, is it worth it? And it's all processed into their minds and it's this incredible scene- and then they decide to give into it, and I just love from then on out every scene, and we get to see these beautiful little scenes between the two of them. You know, at one point they're like laying in bed, and she's talking about his cold feet, and it's yeah. it's a very short scene. Nothing monumental happens in the scene, but it's just about seeing them together and seeing his humanness. You know, and like yes, yes, he's he's this leader uh, of this, you know, incredibly you know pow- strong, and powerful party at the time because of him. But also he has this side that no one else gets to see except for her. And we got to see that. And I love that. And I love the idea of uh, getting the real Deborah and getting her thoughts and and hearing these stories from her, because who else would have been there to say, you know, who else, who else can tell them that they had these moments. And so I'm really hoping that that's how it happened. And I think these scenes were so important for the Fred Hampton character for that reason. Like they're, they're absolutely my favorite scenes. They have these, they have this incredible chemistry. And I love it. And and then on Dominique Fishback, you know, the last scene we see them together is the heartbreaking scene where she's trying to wake him up. And the police is like, you need to go. And basically, they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to shoot you if you don't go. Like, right now, I don't care that you're pregnant. You got to go. And then we get this final shot of her. And I love that it's just her face as we hear them shoot Fred in the background. And- it feels so weird because I know mentally we're in spoiler section, but this is a huge spoiler. <laughs> but you know, and, and 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 we don't cut to it. We don't see any of the police officers laughing. We just see her. It's yeah. a tight close up on her face, and we just see her. And from that, I took one. She's the only one that knew him. She's the only one that truly knew him. So she is going to be mourning him unlike anyone else. And lastly, like I took from that that like. She's the only one that can tell the story that way, right? She was there. She heard it, you know, and she knows what happened. And so I love that we just stood with her and experienced it with her. And it was incredible.
0: Yeah. I mean, completely agree with what you said. Those scenes do that thing that I love about these movies, about these important civil rights leaders is that you said it, it it humanizes them so that Mm -hmm. it takes away that like fake, thing that you have that these people are these flawless people that are completely defined by their one trait that we're told that Mm -hmm. MLK is the leader that is preaching for peace and Malcolm X is the leader that's preaching for violence. That's just not true. You watch a Mm -hmm. film like Selma, or you watch a film like Malcolm X, or God forbid, like you do actual research, you know, you you watch the
1: documentary MLK FBI,
0: right? You, you get that these people are complex individuals and they're human beings that have relationships that sometimes in the case of like MLK have complicated relationships. And it just really helps you contextualize not only like what they did and what we can do as quote unquote regular people, but like also just how demented it was what the fbi was doing to these people these human beings it just is really impactful and then going into that um you know closing uh title card stuff i don't know what to call it but you know you get that deborah gave birth 25 days after um fred hampton was killed and fred hampton jr yeah. is the leader of the the black panther-esque party mm-hmm. in illinois now all of that stuff is just so
1: impactful so completely agree with you great scenes yeah yeah um we also yeah we also get the Bill O'Neill killed himself after the documentary yeah. which I know you've mentioned and we get to see him now I've heard mixed things on whether we should have seen him, the real one or not did you feel any sort of way I don't know I I'm still not
0: sure how to take that scene because it it it's interesting it, he sort of doesn't have remorse in that one scene Yes, Like he's saying, you know, he did his part. He got up there, which is kind of a weird thing to say about being kind of yeah. a traitor or like a historically known traitor and coward. But I mean, then you obviously do get the fact that he killed himself the night that this was released, yeah. which is clear that he had some serious remorse about it. So I don't know. I,
1: what do you think? Like, does it make it more impactful that you I see think, the real guy? I think it's that's the important thing. I think a lot of people are just like, well, it sucks that we got to see him. I and mean, He doesn't really sound like... Like he had any remorse, like you said, but like I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. The point is that like, look, he seems like he had no remorse, but he killed himself. When the documentary was released, yeah, and and so like clearly he did, and he had a facade, um, and all like, and and it's crazy, and it's very sad, and it and it stinks like absolutely like it's messed up. Let me tell you. Like, the FBI were were going to do this. They were going to find a way to do this, right? And he just facilitated right. it. And it sucks. Um, And, and absolutely, like, he he, he should have known better. But man, it is it is a crazy position to be in. And especially that last time where Jesse's, where he's like, are you going to kill him? You know, he's talking to Jesse Plemons' character. And Jesse Plemons doesn't give him an answer. He just stares him down. And you can see the conviction in him that he's just like, and I, I can't do this. And Jesse Plemons says- they will kill you because I we're gonna tell them that you have been talking to the FBI. You've been an informant, so it's your life or his, and it's just a crazy situation to be in. And yeah, uh, while it's... I'm on the subject of uh, sorry of, of no, Jesse Plumman's no character, I he's he's a character that I really wanted more conviction from at, towards the end of the film because I think they kind of like try to hint at that he he has issues with this. You know, we have that incredibly uncomfortable scene between. Yeah, Hoover and him talking about his daughter dating a black man. And you can tell that they're just trying to convince him because he's not all the way there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was just like Jesse Clemen's having a hard time with getting there. But like in that last scene where he has to order Bill O'Neill to do this, I would have liked to see a little more um, struggle from him and conviction from him.
0: There's also that one scene where he's talking about how the informant is the one that actually, like the informant from Connecticut is the one that actually killed the guy who he convinced everybody else was the informant. Mm -hmm. And Jesse Plemons says something like, so a fake FBI informant was killed by an actual FBI informant and we're going to let him get away with cold murder. And his higher up guy is like, yeah, isn't that great? And so yes, there is that definitely great? that conflict there. Um, I'd I'd imagine that it's probably not in the scope of what they wanted to do with this film. So it's probably like there's probably an edit of that, right? That makes him a more sympathetic character. But I, I do think that by kind of like making him personify what the FBI is and what he's like holding over the Lakeith Stanfield character, kind of makes it more effective and more damning of the FBI, if that makes sense. Um, which I think is a good stance to take, you
1: know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. <laughs> but I, I also, I, I'm one that I like the approach of like, you know, not 100% of people are right. 100% assholes, you know, like, yeah. and I just like that approach. Like, for example, you know, uh, Dre, when we watched the film together, the thing she disliked the most is that they show you the ugly side of the Black Panthers. And she was like, No, I wanted Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers to be heroes, Mm -hmm. 100%. And so, she feels conflicted on how she's supposed to feel towards Fred Hampton and towards the Black Panther Party. And I love that. Like, that's one of my favorite things about the film, because at the end of the day, the Black Panther Party did a lot of great stuff, but they also did a lot of questionable stuff. And so, I like that they showed both of those things. Like, why are you pulling guns out? I understand that you're being mistreated, but like, why are you handling this like this? But like, also- you're feeding a bunch of kids and you're educating a bunch of kids, like that are like in neighborhoods that like they're just not getting the attention they should be getting. And so like, man, they're doing so many great things. Uh and so I would have liked to see that, you know, we saw that with Black Panther, we saw that with Fred Hampton, where like it's just like we're conflicted, and I would have loved to see that on the other side where it's just like the cops, one hundred percent, the FBI are one hundred percent A-holes. But the Jesse Plemons character, like, I wanted to see him break a little bit more. Like he's still doing this, yeah. So he's still part of the problem. But like, I would have liked to see him struggle a little bit more in doing this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. He's just all 100% Todd in this one, man. you know, just <laughs> fucking Todd. Todd growing older, fucking Todd, man. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'll say one more scene that I wanted to, to shout out here because I thought it was just such a ballsy move on Wild Bill's part was the the scene where the George Sam's informant guy comes and then they raid the Black Panther headquarters and then Wild Bill is like we've got a rat and he tells them that there's a rat and he shows how there's proof that there's a rat when he's the rat that is mm-hmm. a bold move man no. i um have you you said you're a gamer have you played among us no it's like the game where there's somebody is like a murderer in the midst of people and you try and figure out who the murderer is. It's kind of like Werewolf. Like, no, or, I've played uh, Werewolf. Mafia. I've
1: played Mafia. but And I've played another one called something else. I can't think of what it's called, but I've not played that one. Uh, it's This is a,
0: like a, a video game version of it, basically. Oh. But it, it reminds me of like somebody calling the... I, I don't know. Sure. This is, this is not going to work since you don't know the Among Us reference. I'm sorry, but... Um, anyways, it That's was just good. like a 5d chess move in my opinion of Absolutely. this guy being like, yeah, we got a rat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and when he was, he he's like, there's a, there's a rat in here and I'm going to smoke him out. Yeah. And he like storms out and they're like, calm down. And then what's that? Like what, what puts that scene over the top and makes it really satisfying. This is probably my favorite performance in the movie of Lakeith. It's when he's, he's driving away. out and he's just got this snowing smirk on his face where he's just like, yes, I got it. I got away with it. Um, yeah, I. that scene, listen, we could talk all day. Like, There are some absolutely phenomenal scenes in this, um, yeah. <laughs> which is why the film is so worth watching. And even like, I wasn't so excited about doing another rewatch, but like watching it again, I was thoroughly enjoyed. And it's really mainly because of these different scenes that we're seeing them, you know, that are just like really, really exceptionally well-written um, and directed. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in this movie.
0: Yeah. Great way to uh, close out our discussion. Definitely check out Judas and the Black Messiah if you haven't seen it already. Just a phenomenal film. And like, like Raul said, we could probably talk about every single one of these scenes for another two hours, but it's a Sunday or a Saturday, whatever day it is. We'll go ahead and move on. Um, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> because it's
1: not Valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's
0: how I remembered it too. So, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Well, what have
1: you been watching? Oh man. What have I been watching? I, I, there's, I almost feel upset that I have to say this, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to put it all out there. All right. <laughs> I watched Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Hey Barb. Yes, Star? You know what I just love? What? Movie trailers. (gasps) Me too!
0: I like how they're little movies about another movie before a different movie. Sometimes I find myself watching a trailer for a movie while I'm watching a totally different movie. What? Me too! (gasps) Barb, what if we had a movie? What? (laughs) (gasps) Then we'd have to have a trailer. Oh yes, listen, I wouldn't want to give anything away though about the movie. Me neither, especially our faces. I can almost see our trailer now. I have heard nothing about this movie until a day and a half ago when I heard everything about this movie.
1: Everything, yeah. Everybody's freaking out about this movie. Um, Yeah. So Barb and Star, for those that don't know, are middle-aged, best friends who have never left their Midwestern town. One day, they decide to go on vacation to Vista Del Mar in Florida. And the adventure that they will go on made for the worst film (laughs) that I have seen in a long time. And Dre agrees. I can honestly say there is nothing about this film I liked. Wow. It's like like dead serious. It's like Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumala, who wrote the script, decided, and they also star in it, right? Uh, Decided to make their PG-13 version of Austin Powers, an Austin Powers-style film that was written immediately after binge-watching every episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. And when you see the film, you'll (laughs) understand why I say that. It straight up feels like a live-action SpongeBob SquarePants with no SpongeBob SquarePants or Patrick Starr, right? (laughs) Um, And it features two middle-aged women instead from the Midwest- who have to save the world from an over the top scientist who has no friends literally you'll, again you'll understand that reference when you watch the film if you watch the film i, I genuinely believe dre questioned her marriage to me because i asked her to watch this <laughs> film with me she kept looking over at me like are you for real like are we are we still watching this oh are we going to continue okay and then another ridiculous thing would happen and she look at me again like okay we're going to cuz like i'm i need to finish it right i need to know Like, I have to complete it so that I can honestly say Mm -hmm. that I hate this (laughs) this movie. And I I have not talked this harshly about a film in a while. (laughs) But to make matters worse, Shama, who is my other half over at M Report, texted me after watching it. I woke up in the morning because he watched it later than I, and he said he loved it. I cannot tell you that everything in me, Wanted to fall apart. Like, I was just like, I cannot believe he just told me he loved this movie. And he plans on watching it over and over again because he thinks it's hilarious. <sighs> if you get to this movie, if anyone gets to this movie, I would love to know their thoughts on it. <laughs> it's so, not going to change mine. <laughs> okay. So, um,
0: this is a film that you have to spend like $20 to rent, right? This yeah. is not, mm-hmm. this is right. It, it's like a theatrical thing. So mm-hmm. VOD cinema, whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably not going to check it out for a while. Yeah. And that's okay. Interesting. That's okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I have not heard anybody
1: say anything negative about it. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. Did you like Bridesmaids? Yeah. Yes. I don't love Bridesmaids. Okay. I don't think it's as great as people want to say it is. Um, When it was nominated for the Oscars, I was very, very, very surprised because I didn't think it should have been there. Okay, but did I like the movie? Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. Okay, that's sort of how I feel.
0: It's it's like not my favorite movie, and some people adore it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's a little over the top, but it's yeah. fine. So I, I just this wonder. This is much.
1: This is much more over the top. Like it's okay. It's 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 like again. Think of Austin Powers, PG-13, starring two middle-aged women. And it's like they took the episode outlines of SpongeBob SquarePants. Like, it's it's the <laughs> most craziest, most absurd thing. You know the rand. Have you seen SpongeBob? Yeah. Yeah. You know the random fish characters that'll be in the background and they'll just, like, make a comment? And it's just... Yeah. It, it, that happens in this movie over and over with again. With fish? Not, not with fish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with with people but they might as well be fish okay okay (laughs) i didn't know how crazy we were going but
0: all right well um you know if i end up checking this out i will definitely let you know raul um but it sounds like based on your recommendation i probably won't be actively seeking Uh it. so uh that is barb and star go to vista del mar i guess making your title rhyme does not make it good uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the, the movie that I got to check out recently that I want to talk about is The Dig on Netflix. Have you seen this one?
1: No, but my in-laws saw it and they were telling me that they really enjoyed it. So and, and it's Carrie Mulligan. Come
0: on. Yeah, so it is a film starring Kerry Mulligan and Ralph Fiends. And the premise is basically that Ralph Fiennes is an archaeologist who is hired by Kerry Mulligan to oversee a dig on the land that she owns. This is apparently based on a true story, like Carrie Mulligan's character bought some land and there are these giant or semi-giant mounds of earth and people see them in the field and they're like, well, there's probably something under those mounds, let's (laughs) dig it up. And so they dig up the mound and that's the title. And I think what this film does really, really well is that it explores the concept of time and how history kind of captures moments in time. And this film takes place on the brink of World War II. So it's uh, very immediately pre-World War II England. And there's something really powerful and poetic about how these characters are looking into the past through this dig, while also being at the cusp of a future where the world is going to change forever due to this war. Uh, It's a very beautiful film in that way. Um, It just kind of talks about the temporal nature of human relationships, how fragile these relationships are, even like regardless of how short or long they are, uh, regardless of your age, just how quickly things can change. And I think the way that it's shot and there's these stylistic choices, it adds a really good layer to capturing these fleeting moments of history. Like there's kind of something just innately moving about the film that I think is really fascinating to watch unfold. I think this film could be one of the best films of the year if it weren't for the fact that like the more basic narrative structures of the film are a little weak. And I think sometimes huh. they're like occasionally pretty jarring. So it does a thing that like Netflix films do a lot where character relationships are kind of just quickly established by like a single line of dialogue, for example. And then it's like, oh, well, these these people are in love now because they had that one interaction. Um, right. And then the narrative kind of focuses to different characters pretty randomly sometimes. Like At, at first, it's about the Carrie Mulligan and Ralph Fiennes character, but then it becomes about this Lily James character kind of suddenly. Um, I know some people really like that shift. I thought it was fine, but just a little jarring. Um, and then in the same way that a lot of Netflix films that are kind of sprawling and ambitious, a lot of the plot threads tend to happen really quickly and kind of go by the, like hit the notes without really doing a lot of the more gritty work to get you invested in those plot threads so it can feel a little unpolished it sort of feels like a um phase one netflix film in that way but i think overall i was really surprised by this film my expectations were really low for it so i think that helped i don't know why they were they just were i think it's been getting pretty great reviews but um because of that like i found it pleasantly surprising especially for a movie about digging a hole in somebody's backyard but yeah, I would definitely recommend this one to people. Just go in knowing it's 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 an odd yet beautiful film. I would say
1: that's awesome. Man. You actually really made me want to watch it. You, were, yeah, you said it's it could be one of the best films of the year, and I'm just like, oh, okay. And then on top of that, you told me it has Lily James in it. Yes, that's it. I'm going. That's it. I love I've Lily James. A I love her too. <laughs> She is so
0: effortlessly charming in everything that she's in and it's the same here. And she it's is. <laughs> it's funny cuz my girlfriend and I were watching it and she knows that I like Lily James more than she probably wants me to. And yeah. so she uh when Lily James pops up on the screen, I was like, "Is that Lily James?" It kind of looks like Lily James and she was like, "Yeah, huh. she's in this movie. How did you not know that?" <laughs> Um, so she is in this movie, even and, though she's and not. And then in she's the like, "You need to calm minutes. down on
1: your level of excitement about Lily James. Like, I need you to bring that down <laughs> from a ten <laughs> to about <Yeah>. a 7. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, no, no, she's absolutely. I, I agree with you. Effortless, charming, definitely like valid to be like. Celeb- she's celebrity crush status. Like she's 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 really really charming, and she, the best part of the Danny Boyle film yesterday.
0: Oh yeah, the only good part. Some might say so. <laughs> The um, only good part. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, that is The Dig. Um, definitely check it out on Netflix. Um, yeah, let me know what you think, Raul. I'd, I'd be interested to yes.
1: know. I'm go- I'm definitely, man. I'm definitely going to check that out now.
0: So to close out the episode, since we are the Movie Marathoners podcast, I've been trying to end each episode on a marathon or movie marathon, in this case, related question. So my closing question for you, Raul, is would you rather do a movie marathon of Daniel Kaluuya's filmography or Lakeith Stanfield's?
1: So, this is a tough question because they both have films I either dislike or seriously despise. Um, (laughs) But in all of their filmography, there's only one film that I despise above all. And like I I can never bring myself to watch this film again. And that's Uncut Gems. (laughs) And for that reason, Lakeith Stanfield is out. And I'm going with, I would rather marathon Daniel Kaluuya's films.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I agree with you. There's a couple weak ones in, in both of their categories. And yeah. um, <laughs> my uncut gem story is that I went with my parents, like when I was home for the holidays at one point. And the <laughs> night before I had been out with my friends, you know, we went to some bars and stuff and I got a little, you know, I had a little too many drinks, was very hungover. My dad barges into my room, 9 a.m., We've got a holiday party this evening. Your stepmom, she needs to clean the house. We're getting out. We've got a 10 a.m. showing for Uncut Gems. And I was just like, oh, my God. And that movie, when you have a headache, Uh is unbearable. That Um, movie
1: is unbearable when you don't have a headache. Yes. Okay, so I can only imagine.
0: (laughs) My brother despised this movie. Um, I did not despise it, but uh, I, I feel that. So I think I would be with you. Go with the um, Daniel Kaluuya marathon. You yeah. get to check out Black Panther. You get to check out <sighs> Get Out. Really yeah. great films all across the board, with with the exception of a couple. So, I think a that's a good, good point.
1: There's a couple weak yeah. ones, but definitely a stronger filmography. All right. Well, this
0: has been our review of Judas and the Black Messiah. Raul, thank you so much for joining me. This was an awesome pleasure to have you on the podcast.
1: Nah, man, I really appreciate it. Um, this was a great time. I appreciate the invite. Um, and I appreciate the good time, right? Because considering this is my second time leaving my Minorities Report comfort bubble, um, this this experience has solidified me feeling comfortable leaving the cave every once in a while. So I, <laughs> I appreciate the invite and I appreciate the good times, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, it did not feel like your you know, second outing. It felt like you've been doing this your whole life, like going to different podcasts and guesting. So I appreciate the energy, man.
1: I appreciate it, man.
0: Is there anything specific that you want to plug here?
1: No, I'll just invite folks to come check us out. Uh, we're over at uh, mreportpod.com. Our pod is Minority Support Film, and we're on all the platforms where anybody can find uh, podcasts. Uh, you can also check us out on the socials at, uh, at mreportpod, that's Twitter, that's Instagram, Minority Support Film on Facebook. Um, we just we have some written reviews on Sundance. We were released pretty recently because we covered Sundance, uh, as I know you did. And then we also just just dropped our top 10 of Sundance episodes. So if anybody wants to check that out, hey, it's out there and uh,
0: let us know. Let us know how you guys are feeling about it. Awesome. Sounds good, Raul. I will include all of that information in the show notes so people can check it out. Appreciate it, man. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompatech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Movie or on Facebook at facebook.com slash movie that's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. We're making some changes here, so any feedback on those changes would be extra appreciated. So thank you all for listening and I hope you'll tune in next time when I review the Oscar frontrunner runner Nomadland with Erica Richards. She's coming back to the podcast to help me check out that one. So nice. stay tuned for all of that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time.